This episode is sponsored by ContentFind, a premium video editing and content repurposing service for busy content creators, influencers, brands, podcasters, YouTubers, and marketers. ContentFi provides unlimited end-to-end editing and repurposing services to help you get your video and audio content edited and repurposed quickly, easily, and reliably. Join other busy content creators, founders, brands, and marketers who now spend even more time creating while they take care of the rest. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing anymore. Just create content, build your audience, and grow your business. If you're a content creator looking to save time and money, or looking to outsource your content marketing team, get your first free video edited now at contentfi.co. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast, or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS dash podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. Remember that we've been diversifying our content and you, as the listeners of the show have been asking for it, we'll be segmenting the show from now on into three separate categories. If you haven't already noticed, we have the Investor Podcast, where we talk with top leaders in the VC and SaaS investment space. Uh, the second one will be the Pitch One, where we talk with founders ready to seek funding and want to pitch their ideas. So you'll see that in orange. And the classic episodes where we talk with top leaders, marketers, and founders in the SaaS industry. So when you're looking for the next episode, uh, you know, color episode cover green is for investors, orange is for pitch, and blue is for the other SaaS district episodes. So thank you guys so much for the feedback. And please let us know what you think. We're constantly looking to improve, find new ways to improve our content so we can keep delivering the maximum value for you guys. So let's get to today's episode. Uh, We'll be talking about how to buy profitable online businesses and build different streams of passive income. Today, we have our guest, Jared Krause, joining us. Jared is an online business mentor, coach, and investor teaching people how to work less and earn more by buying established online businesses that are already profitable. Jared believes that buying and renovating websites is the best way to grow an investment portfolio. Better than real estate, better than stocks, and way better than money in the bank. Uh, He also runs Buying Online Business Podcast, if you guys haven't already checked that out. It's one of the largest and also one of the largest communities of people buying and selling successful website businesses so they can ultimately achieve their life goals. So welcome, Jared. Super excited to have you on SaaS District Show. Thanks, Akil. <laughs> Thanks, Akil. I'm, I'm really excited to talk. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so for those people who don't know you, uh, can you share your personal background, past ventures, and how did you get into the online business investment space? Well, I make this a big, long, drawn-out um, story, but I used to be a plumber and I basically just didn't, I really didn't like it. I disliked it. So I'd quit my job. I'd save up, I quit my job, I'd go traveling and then um, come home and start that process all again. You know, work through my money whilst I was traveling and come home and work again, save up and travel. On one of my trips, I was like, I can't, I can't keep coming back to this lifestyle. I just dislike it massively. Uh, and it, it caused me to do silly things like party too much and, and work too much and, and just have not a healthy life. And so on one of my trips, I was like, how do I, how do I come home with, uh, you know, or how do I keep, continue to travel without having to go home and be a plumber, right? How do I continue to work? And I thought, oh, I need to do something online. So I literally typed in to Google how to travel the world and make money online. 
And that's how I started the online business space. It was a bit of a journey from there to get to buying businesses where I bought into the belief system that to make money online or us to have control of our income, we need to start our own online business or start a business. Uh, and I did that. My, I started a travel blog. I started a little e-commerce business. And I just really struggled to get enough income from those to sustain the lifestyle that I wanted to be able to travel uh, or even to just live off really. And so when I came back home with my tail between my legs as a plumber, I, I was reading a lot and just doing all this personal development and trying to work out how I could, you know, get better performance out of my businesses. And I came across this stat that 90% of all startups fail. And I thought, wow, all right, 90% of all startups fail. And one of the big things that a lot of people who achieve some level of success in anything is they're, they're able to change their paradigm. They're, they're, they're able to be a paradigm shifter and, and pivot when things don't go so well. Um, and... Other, other and the opposite is of that is like being attached to a certain outcome and a certain route, and those people get stuck and um, can't continue forward. So, for luckily for me, I had this, I had this paradigm shift of like, well, if ninety percent of startups fail, why don't I go away and buy one that's past that ninety percent failure rate? So then I started that journey to teach me how to buy, teach myself how to buy one. There's no one around at that time teaching that, and um, I bought a business and I bought another one. And I bought three businesses and I went on a trip and then people were like, uh, I went on a business trip, got invited to a business trip on Thailand to Thailand where people were, um, the owners were teaching people how to start businesses and run them and grow them. And then everyone there was like, what do you mean? Like you buy these businesses and because everyone was struggling to start their businesses, right? 90% of startups fail on this trip. Like, dude, you got to teach us this stuff. So I found myself on the bus on each day on excursions, everyone just gathering around. I was teaching and um, as I continued to travel, people were like, mate, can you, can you please tell me how this is done? And that's, mm. that's where it started. Just out of need of necessity, people wanted to do the same thing. And um, that's where I got to what I'm doing with buying online businesses and all that sort of stuff. Super cool. When was that? Like, how, how many years ago was that? Did you first started that? And then uh, those first three websites. What, can you share where? What you know? What were the size of these deals? Or where, where did you find them? Yep. So the I started learning in, or I started my travel blog, which is my first biz, small business in 2013. Mm. Uh, and then in 2014, I started my e-commerce business. And then 2014, at the end of 2014, I bought my first website business as a small business. It was only uh, 15k. And it was a it was a, a SaaS business, which is quite cool. Uh, and then the next one I built on top of that, and I bought something that was double that. And it was a um, I so the first one I bought off market. Mm. It was on Flipper, didn't get sold, so I bought it off market. The second one, uh, where did I buy the second one? I bought, I bought the no, sorry, the first one was on Flipper. Mm. The first one was on Flipper. And then the second one was on Flipper and then I bought it off market. And the third one was bigger than the second one. And I bought that off Empire Flippers, empireflippers.com. And um, the second one was an e-commerce business. It was dropshipping. And then the third one was an e-commerce business and it was dropshipping as well. And um, just, a, just a heads up to everybody listening is a lot of people that come to me is like, Jared, I'm going to quit my job and I buy a business. And I say like, hold on, don't please don't do that because what you do is you put a lot of you stop yourself from earning an income 
And when you do that, you put financial stress on yourself, even though you might have money saved in the bank account. And then you try to scrap together and buy a business as soon as you can, so you can get another income. Don't do that. Um, so I, I had two, my first two businesses were earning more money than my day job before I quit my job. And I just want to put a heads up to people to not rush into this because it takes time and you want to do it the right way. Makes sense. And then what was, so you, at that point you had a lot of people reaching out to you. This was kind of an organic business that just, you know, naturally fell on your lap, so to speak, by, by taking action and buying these uh, deals and sharing what you've been doing. Um, what was kind of the vision at that point behind launching, you know, beyond, buying online businesses, you want to build that community and helping other people buy and selling businesses, uh, you know, build that same lifestyle. And how does that compare versus the other asset classes of investments, which you talked about? How does buying online businesses compare to those other asset classes like real estate yeah, well, and, and stocks? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, the, the first part of the question is, is how it evolved was I just thought, all right, if people want to know this, I'll just create a course and I'll give it away to a few people for free and I'll run them through it and I'll use that as content for the, um, for the course, mm-hmm. for all these lessons. Anyway, I got a bunch of people um, that were like, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Um, some friends, some people I met on the road and, and some people that had some, uh, what I was led to believe, some motivation to really go away and take action. I didn't, just didn't want to put people through this I wanted them to actually take action mm-hmm. and I uh, gave it to them for free, went through the whole thing with them and nobody did anything with it, um, unfortunately. And I thought, well, I'm sure they love this, but they just didn't have much motivation to do it because they probably, probably cause they didn't pay for it. So as soon as I started um, charging people, which is what I did and I did one-on-one, I just, I, it wasn't a membership. It was just one-on-one coaching my, with myself and the course um, and then, then we started getting people great results and then it evolved eventually into a membership where people can pay per month to join. And, um, and then people like, as we, as it started scaling, like I couldn't, I couldn't spend any more time on it because I couldn't put any more clients through it because I, my time was limited. Right. So right. I had to change the business model, um, to, to a membership and then people that I do do one-on-one coaching with is, is, is through my mastermind. Mm. Uh, to answer your question around the, um, how does buying an online business stack up against other asset classes? And like you said in the start, in the intro, why I believe it's better. Now, better is there's different variations of better. And I want to explain why. When you buy real estate, you it's so there's different levels of risk in, in purchasing a business and there's different um, levels of like return on investment when you purchase an online business as well and, and other asset classes. So let's stack it up against real estate. Real estate is good. You can make a five, maybe to 10% ROI on your investment. 10% is amazing. If, you, mm. if you're getting that, let me know so I can get in on it. Um, <laughs> but the good thing about, uh, so you've got a lesser income, lesser ROI, but buying real estate, in my opinion, is more stable. Right, the market doesn't move as quickly. There's less environmental changes uh, or risk. I mean, there's still environmental changes, but they're not as drastic as what they are online with Google and Facebook changing the algorithms very, very suddenly. Uh, so the risk is decreased with a real estate uh, purchase or a real estate investment, uh, but also the income is decreased. When you buy an online business, you have an increased ROI. So roughly you can achieve a 20 to 30% return on your investment 
soon as you buy the business. So you buy the business, you pay the money and you start getting that 20 to 30% return on your investment back straight away. A lot of my clients are just over the moon when they buy a business and they're like, oh my God, like I changed the accounts over to mine and I've got money coming into my account from this business. That doesn't happen when you have a startup. It's, it's, a, it's, a li- it's literally a life-changing thing when you buy an income stream. Right. Anyway, when you're buying an online business, you, you can achieve that 20 to 30% return on investment, which is excellent. But you do have those risks uh, which are higher in the online space. And that's why you certainly want to have somebody on your side who knows the environmental changes. And if one of those environmental changes happens and it affects your business, what you can do to course correct. So that's important as well. Uh, So I believe that supplementing an income, uh, buying an online business and real estate is good because you've got a low risk and and lower ROI and then a a little bit of a higher risk and a higher ROI. And so you can buy an online business for cash and put that cash back in a property. And I think that's a beautiful combination. To stack buying a a business up against investing in the stock market and we could put that under Forex or crypto, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I used to do the stock market. Why I don't like the stock market anymore is because when you purchase um, a stock, is you're purchasing an asset you have zero control over. Right. And you can't add value to that. With real estate, you can buy it, you can renovate it, you can extend, you can um, just do a cosmetic um, makeover inside and you can put the rental prices up, right? Or you could split it up, you could subdivide, you have position, you have potential to add value to it, right? And increase the ROI on that investment. It's the exact same when you buy an online business, right? You can subdivide businesses, you can renovate, you can do all these different things. You can extend and there's no limit. There's no glass ceiling to how far you can extend with a property. There is as height and width ways that you can um, extend and there's limitations. So with those businesses, you have control over the asset. You own the asset. Uh, A lot of people believe that when they buy a stock, it's like, I own this stock. It's mine. Uh, You... Yeah, you own a part of it, but you have no control, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have a big enough share in that business to make moves and add value. So that's why I believe buying an online business, that's how it stacks up in my opinion against those other investment classes. And does that make sense? Or is there any part that I didn't really explain very well? No, no, that makes perfect sense. And I guess the other thing with uh, real estate is like you said, you can't, there's only a limitation on how, how much you can grow it. Whereas uh, online business, you can keep, you know, adding value to it. Uh, real estate, I guess you can't change the location. I mean, the only way you can really add more income, you know, it'll hit, it'll hit a, a wall at some point, right? Where with online, you can keep mm-hmm. growing and growing. There's, there's not, maybe there's a, a higher limit. Um, just, just for clarity for our audience. So they, they just, so they understand what exactly are the different types of online businesses and what type of established business are you currently acquiring? Cause I know you mentioned one, you know, drop shipping, you mentioned, uh, you know, e-commerce, what, what are some other ones that you typically see and are, are advising your, uh, people that you work with to, to, to look at? Yeah, it's a great question. I like to make it super easy and just, I used to teach that there's multiple business models, like, like seven ish. And now I, I'm, I'm teaching people that there's, there's three main businesses, business models. The first one is what you talked about, which is e-commerce, right? Mm-hmm. E-commerce is basically where you sell digital or physical products online. Most people associate e-commerce with selling physical products online, like an Amazon business, right? Amazon FBA, 
which is fulfillment by Amazon for those who don't know, and then owning your own sort of Shopify store or WooCommerce store or website that you're selling physical products. Now that's e-commerce. Now that could mean drop shipping, right? That could mean FBA. That could mean self-product distribution, right? Mm-hmm. So that's e-commerce. And then you have, uh, I'll stick to your, your sort of asset class last. Then you have content uh, mm-hmm. businesses, right? Or content websites. Basically, these are businesses that are producing media. Most people associate these with content sites as being uh, blog posts and texts, right? Mm-hmm. It could be images and it could be video, but they're producing media on their website uh, or on Facebook or on Instagram or on YouTube. And how they make money is through affiliate links and advertising on the ad, on the content or uh, affiliate links within the content or descriptions and whatever it is. Uh, so most people associate that with being on an actual website and they, they call them affiliate sites or ad sites. Uh, so they're what I call content slash media businesses. And then the last one is SaaS or membership businesses. So where you will pay a monthly, quarterly or annual fee to get access. And you've got two types of um, SaaS businesses you've got a media one and then you've also got like a, a, a like a, a you could have you could call it membership or you call it SaaS. some people like bunch them together i bunch it together a membership of media is like when you're paying to use netflix or mm. uh stan or uh when you join a membership like mine you're paying per month to consume the content and then you also get some service as well uh then you have this the proper SaaS, which is what you guys talk about a lot is software as a service and people know how that works, right? You, it could be like an accounting software. It could be some sort of um, WordPress plugin or tool or whatever. And what would you consider courses? I guess that's generally with content as well, right? I think people who have drive a lot of traffic to YouTube pages, uh, you know, Instagram, then they usually drive them to a, to a course <laughs> other than, you know, ads and affiliates, right? Yeah, it would really depend on what, how the course is delivered, right? If the mm-hmm. courses people buy one-time product, right? And say they buy it for a thousand dollars for the course, then I would say that's like e-com. Mm. Right? And if there's no serviceability around it and all that sort of stuff, they just buy the course and they get it. And that's like e-com one-time um, sale. And then if you're running a course through a membership, it's membership, <laughs> people paying per yeah. month. Makes sense. So let's, yeah. let's talk about valuations, right? Because I think that's another question people want to ask. Okay, what, what should I be paying for this? You have different you know, different type of websites, uh, different performance factors, different th- you know factors you look at, as well as like the industry, the niche you're in, the market. How are you generally valuing you know SaaS businesses when when uh, through your acquisitions, and then how do you compare that to the other business models? Or would you say they're they're pretty similar? Not similar. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a specific reason. Dropshipping business or wouldn't say just drop shipping, but e-commerce businesses sell for lesser. Um, and usually the lesser business sells for is, has, has usually more risk <laughs> involved. Now, um, when you're buying an e-commerce business, you really need to understand how to do marketing. You need to be good at it and or have an agency or team that is good at it and you can, you, you're confident and you can rely on them. Um, so e-commerce and there's people can just come in and it's pretty quick and easy to create an e-commerce business, start it up and somebody be, be, be your competitor. So you have that risk as well. Uh, so those, those multiples are lower. And then I would say you've got content sites 
in um, the next. And then you would have SaaS um, mm. and membership. And the reason SaaS is different to those other two and the multiples are higher for SaaS and membership is because if you think about it just logically, you're buying a database of people that are paying a re- recurring um, mm. fee, right? You've got recurring income off the bat. You don't need to make one-time sales like in um, e-com and also in content. You don't need to keep having more traffic to come to the site to make affiliate sales and ad sales. You've already got people making that, right? It's just mm. what you do with it next is 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 another story but the risk is decreased in my opinion there's also risk within the that business model where you should have a developer do due diligence on the actual software and make mm-hmm. sure it's not out of date and it's make sure it's not going to cost you a lot of money to um, update it and change it and, and make changes and, and hire a developer to do so so there is due diligence to be done in all of these businesses uh, so I wouldn't say just go away and buy a SaaS or membership business because it's, you know, they're, they're a higher multiple and less risk. Well, there's different variations of different risk. Right. And can you give us a quick, uh, some quick numbers on what those different valuations look like? So e-com, what are you paying? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming based off EBITDA and what is it on SaaS? Mm-hmm. Can you give those quick ranges? Yeah, we'll just stick with EBITDA. Okay. So e-com, you can, uh, and Again, this this is variant on different businesses, and you know you can have econ businesses that like have people recurring and and paying. Like if you're selling a perishable like toilet paper or toothpaste, and people need to keep buying them or, or shaving or whatever it is, um, that's a good e-commerce business. I would change it into a membership myself personally, but mm. um, let's yeah. So just it's just a heads up when I answer this. It's it's very business dependent ecom you can be paying a multiple of, of two years right mm-hmm. two to three years okay. sometimes four years uh when you ecom i'm oh, sorry that's ecom um content or slash media businesses you can be paying anywhere from two to four maybe five ish years mm-hmm. okay and then with SaaS, you can be paying anywhere from like three to five or even six years, right? Yeah. Like this, and 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 up. It's when you you really see the the multiple difference go change and increase when you go from ecom and content to SaaS. That's it, yeah. it's it's evident. It's very evident. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's generally what we're seeing as well, and what we're paying when we're looking at SaaS businesses. Where I think we're, especially at our size, I think we're like you know three and a half, maybe five to five and a half. Um, is what we're yeah. Doing. Uh, yeah, I mean, and you, you might have seen some people pay like seven, right? There's yeah. hedge funds and stuff like, especially in your space, like the capital that can get raised and if they've already got a platform business, uh, which is a, we, I don't know if you want to get into what all that, yeah. all that means for private equity, but um, if you've got another business that you can bolt on to the business you're purchasing and it's in the same niche. It's just, wowza, the, the ROI is great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a different strategy. But I think, you know, for, for those people who have that, um, you know, a capability, I think it's, it's huge. What, what's your general mm. kind of offer structure on, you know, these online businesses? Are you generally paying, you know, 100% cash up front on these deals? Or how do you like to structure it for, for managing the risk and, um, you know, the risk with, with buying any, any business? It depends. 
depends on the size of the business. Uh, anything under anything around or under the 100, 150K is, is usually cash. Um, mm-hmm. Then you can supplement that with getting an SBA loan in America. Um, and you could possibly do this in in other places. Uh, the financing isn't the, isn't very open and abundant for buying online businesses. Basically, um, the banks and institutional lenders aren't aren't seeing these as as assets yet, which is just weird because it they make so much probably so more, more money than if you look at the data than than rental properties and stuff like that but anyway yeah that's a that's a side subject um mo, mo, mostly all cash if you can do finance great because that's you know it's a longer drawn out process then you've got different structures where you can do seller financing and you can put a percentage down payment and then pay out you know per month over say a three month or six month period it depends on your terms and agreements with the seller and how flexible the seller is as well. Um, that also really decreases your risk because you've also got the owner tied to the business still whilst you're making those repayments. Normally, we'll see that a down payment will be you know, 60 to 90% of the business price and then the rest of, will be repayments over a certain period of time. So that's seller fine. Um, that's... So you can do that as an earner and then you have seller financing, which is doing the same structure, but you're paying interest on the uh, repayments. Mm-hmm. And then you can also have um, seller notes right, and, or, or calls and where if the business perf- underperforms, you pay lesser for your repayments or the business performs higher throughout the repayment um, period, then you can pay a little bit more as well. And this could work in your favor if you have the owner teaching you what you need to do to grow the business and you're making repayments and if you hit a certain level, you pay more, the owner will be more likely to really motivate you and push you and give you great information right. and education on how to grow the business so they can get higher repayments as well. And it's a win-win for both. Exactly. Like it, what I would suggest for somebody that is going to go down that route is, is don't do this, the, the, the yucky thing of um, I'm going to grow the business to this certain level and I'm going to stop putting my energy and input into it. That's just not good. That's just um, the the owner, the previous owner is going to know that and you just what you're going to do is you're going to ruin your reputation and reputation is I say and your relationship, your relationships are and can be more valuable than the business you end up purchasing alone because mm-hmm. what opportunity can come from that relationship, even not directly with that person, but relationships with that um, seller and their connection, uh, the opportunities can be incredible. So Makes sense. Don't, don't ruin your reputation by doing these yucky, seedy things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hide, hiding revenue and whatnot to not pay the, the earn out. Mm-hmm. Um, and also mm-hmm. uh, in Canada, they have BDC. I know they're also starting to open up and they're looking at you know more deals and uh, they're open to this space. So I think it's, it's getting interesting times, but I think we still have a long way to go before you know, more traditional banks are, are looking at these deals, right? Yeah. yeah. So for, for those in our audience, maybe they're looking to build their own online business portfolio like you have or you teach some of your clients and also build that lifestyle as well. Where, where should I start looking and where are the best places that you, you recommend? Is it brokers or uh, you know, off the market? Should I talk to my friends? Where, where, where should I be looking? 
it when you're first starting, if you just start, I mean, if you've got a bunch of friends and you're already in in business, it's it's definitely go to your you know, get some private deal flow and go to your private network. Most people starting this, they probably just heard like, wow, okay, I can buy a business. Um, what you don't want to do is you don't want to go to a marketplace mm-hmm. uh, where people can self-list their own businesses for sale. Uh, you run into problems there where you look at a bunch that look good, but you do due diligence and you're just wasting your time because a lot of those listings are dud listings. And I, I like to call them lemons. People will be buying lemons. Um, I only suggest going there if you've got experience, you've bought a business before, you know how to do due diligence. If not, and you're just new to this, go to Google and type in websitebrokers.com. And there's so many, right? There's so many. Like people listening to your show, they've probably heard of feinternational.com. They sell mm-hmm. a lot of SaaS sites. You got empireflippers.com, you got motioninvest.com, you got quietlightbrokerage.com, investorsclub.com, or investors.club. Like, there's, check out those guys. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot. There's just more more people coming up. Yeah, um, yeah. Also like uh, Andrew from Microacquire. If you guys haven't checked out, if you're looking more into SaaS, Microacquire is a great place as well. Um, yeah, cool. So you know, I've, I've managed all different all those different model business models which you mentioned. I've been involved in all of them and, and ran them. Each requires, I would say, a different level of skill set, right? Um, what kind of skills do you generally need and share with your clients to focus on? in order to figure out how to operate this type of business because you know they're coming in as you know engineers or marketers or whatever some you know job that they're working on plumbers how do you how do you kind of learn those skill sets to be able to or what should they be focusing on it really depends on their goals it it, it depends on what they want to do within the business not not how they want to grow the business but what they want like combined with what they want to do in the business as well so Normally, people will buy a business in the community and they'll, they'll send to the mastermind where I teach them how to scale and grow it. And in there is I like to sit down with them and go, all right, what's working in the business? What's not working in the business? Let's scrap everything that's not working. Let's focus on what is working and let's build processes and systems around it. And what, part, what of those tasks do you want to do right, in the business? right? So do you want to be doing the marketing or the SEO? Right? Do you want to be doing the customer service if is there if there isn't any? And do you want to be producing the content? What part do you want to do? If you don't want to do any of it, that's okay as well, right? Mm. So the part that you do want to do is upskilling that level. Go all in on it, right? The parts that you don't want to do, if you don't and you don't have to do any as well, let's build a process and a system and hire a team around that. And what I do is I basically teach people how to hire. And and build and and be the owner of the business, not the operator, uh, unless they want to be the operator. For smaller for smaller businesses, I suggest people do become an operator and and learn that um, part of the business that they do love and outsource the other parts. And um, and then once they've learned that, what they can do is you can do this if you have a team, or you can do this if you're an operator yourself. Is you've built something that is more powerful than business. You've built the engine of the business and that's highly leverageable. So once you've learned that skill or built that system, you can go out and look at businesses that require that, that are inferior to the business that you have, that you can buy and then you can push this engine into that business. And that's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, I mean, there's something about operating and learning the ropes and weeds kind of, uh, you know, firsthand before, you know, going up and buying bigger and bigger businesses. I think you get that confidence level. You know what to look for, you know, how to hire around it. And then um, I think it just gives you the, the confidence to be able to do more deals and, and keep growing. 
So I think yeah, I, I must apologize as well. I may not have answered that question in a way that um, your listeners may have hoped to know what skills they should have, should be learning. So let me, let me at least sort of highlight each of those three categories of what they should focus on if they're going to purchase one of those businesses. Ecom, focus on being an excellent marketer, really, right. really good at, at digital marketing and mm. um, pick one channel, right? If you're going to pick Facebook, stick to that one and get great at it. YouTube, stick to that, get a great at it. Instagram, whatever it is. Um, and then, yeah, focus on marketing. Content is I would focus on SEO, mm-hmm. right? Being really, really good at SEO. And then with SaaS is hmm. what I would do personally is I'm not a developer. So I would have a developer team or, or, or virtual assistants to do the developing part. And then I would focus on marketing as well, hmm. mainly content marketing, what you're doing, think, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And other thing that I think we use and I think applies across all of them is probably like, you know, really good at conversion rate optimization. I think that's something... Yeah, I think people should learn. I think it give you some quick wins if you're looking to to grow the company. Um, let's use a scenario here. You're say you're, you're nine to five, maybe making a six figure salary. That's somebody in our audience, white collar job, blue collar job. You know, plumber, uh, engineer, marketing, VP of finance or sales, and you want to consider this route, right? You want to replace your income, and, and you'll have that flexibility and freedom. Which model would you focus on? You know, trying to acquire first from those three you mentioned. What, what would you say is the easier route for for somebody in that, who has, doesn't have that skill set? The lower barrier to entry would be content, um, in my opinion, because when you buy an e-commerce, I mean, SaaS is good as well. Um, you could probably put them in the same boat. I wouldn't suggest getting into e-com because you want to ensure that you're great at doing marketing, right? You yeah. want to be able to ensure you can produce the same result, if not better. And, and if you can't, you need to hire an agency and to find a good agency is just really, really hard. You're going to go through a few and you're going to spend a lot of money to find the right one. Um, so, so I'd say not go get into e-com. Um, content is you can hire writers quite cheap. You can get great... Um, you can have people produce articles for you that do like content management services and build backlinks and all that sort of stuff. I'd say the barrier to entry is pretty low on that because you can outsource tasks pretty easily and mm-hmm. start to learn SEO on the fly and the business doesn't need your immediate attention to continue to produce a result. You could leave that business for a matter of months and it could still... And we see people leave their business for a year or more and sell them and they're still producing decent returns. Right. When you come to SaaS, is it depends on what business you buy. In the SaaS, if the if the due diligence checks out and the software's up to date and the marketing system's working quite well, you've got time to uh, learn how to do some marketing and learn how to do what you said, CRO, right? Conversion mm-hmm. rate optimization. So I would put that in the same boat as um, content as well because you've you're buying a customer base. There are some other things that you want to like. You probably want to learn prior to buying a SaaS business, and that would be like how to decrease churn. Exactly. Right, and increase retention. And that is a pretty valuable skill. Um, you, but if the business has been ticking along for quite a while, then the the barrier to entry can be quite small for SaaS as well. Yeah. Would you, would you agree? I, I would agree. I think if, you know, the only thing I would say with e-com and, and SaaS, the difference being is that you have more roles and responsibilities that need to be filled. Whereas with a product, you know, with the, with the content, mm. like you need writers and, you know, maybe a little bit of marketing, you can learn, but it's not very time consuming. With e you're dealing with suppliers, you're dealing with the refunds, customer service, 
Uh, yeah. You know, Amazon with SaaS, you know, you got tech. If you need to make changes, something changes and, and you know, the, there's an update on, you know, for, for the software uh, database or you lose something, uh, you need customer support, you need, you know, managing your clients, you need product. And then there's market. So I think there's just a little bit more to, to manage. So if you're first starting, maybe it's a little, maybe it could be a little overwhelming. Oh, it's so good. And that's such a, such a juicy um, topic that you just brought up is the, <laughs> is, is the customer service. Like I'm helping a client in the, in the mastermind um, build out his customer service team. And there's a bit that goes into not just doing customer service, but building out a team to do it. <laughs> so yeah. that's a really good shout out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this is one part of the business, right? And then you still have to keep you know, yeah. managing and then managing people, right? That's always you know, time, you know, challenge in, its, yeah. in itself. Um, mm. So another, another common question people have in this space is they're debating, right? Should I be starting versus buying? You mentioned the 90% risk failure, but uh, why should they consider buying this established business? They're paying a lot more upfront. They're taking on that risk of, you know, those hidden problems that they may not find during due diligence and the previous owner may have hide um, versus like just, you know, investing in building their own online business and starting from scratch. Great question. My partner and I went for a walk yesterday afternoon and she asked me a similar question. It's like, why would, you know, it's, <clears throat> we're talking about like how easy it is to for uh, on, online business mentors such as myself, but a bit a little bit different, teach people to start an online business versus buy one. The mm-hmm. barrier to entry is very cheap and very easy. You, you can get a lot more. You can you can get a lot more people to come and um, work with you, and you can sell your products and and services a lot easily because people are taught that you don't need a lot of money to start uh, an online business. Um, but when you buy one, you need to have that upfront cost. Why would I suggest? still buying an online business and why do I believe it's less risky, right? Even though you're spending all that money up front. The answer is that when you start an online business, you still got you do have that 90% failure rate, but what does that consist of, right? Well, one thing that you need to find is this thing called product market fit. Mm. That can be hard, right? And, and people, uh, this is one of the hardest things is, is finding product market fit and you can spend, you can go through a lot of products and you can spend a lot of money trying to sell this product that nobody wants to buy. Right. And you can build this website and there's a lot of cost that goes into that as well. And then even when you do find product market fit, right, you'll start selling it. Then you really need to evolve that marketing machine, right? I wouldn't call Mm -hmm. it a machine. It's a system. Uh, And to build that up to scale and grow the business into something that's quite, decent. When you buy an online business, somebody's got that product market fit for you. Mm. They've built that marketing machine, that sales machine, and they don't have just product market fit, but they've got proof of concept that the business as a system, as a whole works. And you can buy a business with a team. I've bought a business with a team before. And it's the why I believe it's less risk is because you realize your profits a lot quicker a lot quicker. When you start an online business is you can go through a year, two, three years, sometimes more without even getting a return on your investment. If you don't know how to project the growth of a business, then you could run out of money and you can be left high and dry. Happens to a lot of people. When you buy an online business, you know exactly, well, you, you're within a ballpark range. If you buy a $100,000 business, you know that you're, you're roughly you're going to be making around $30,000 a year, right? And you're right. going to get those payments in monthly payments. So that's why I believe buying an online business is less risky because the whole the whole thing is proven and you're buying a whole system. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, last question kind of around the, let's talk about due diligence because I feel that's a, another scary part, right? Because when you're starting from scratch, mm. you got all those hidden things to look for. I mean, you don't have those issues. You, you can, you're, the, the field is open, you can do whatever you want. But uh, what would you say are some of the most common red flags you can show the audience that they should be looking at on, on the websites or the business during the due diligence process and help them reduce their risk and their failure rate you know, post acquisition? It depends on the business mm-hmm. model. But I'm going to stick to try and stick to ones that are very general but important that people will not even uh, consider is a risk mm-hmm. that will be across all business models. One is single source dependency mm-hmm. on traffic. All content, mainly all content websites have this risk, right? Where they get most of their traffic from Google. You can see some that get a bunch from Pinterest and some social and they, some people build out an email list. That's okay. Um, and, and that's going to help decrease the risk. But single source dependency on traffic is really, really important. Just a few days ago, somebody jumped into the community and what I do is I go through their due diligence, right? So I make sure they don't buy a lemon and I just check it. This business he looked at, 53% of the traffic was going to one article that was ranked mm-hmm. on Google. Imagine the ramifications if that article got debunked and got lost in the rankings. He could lose 53% of his traffic. What's the second and third order consequence and the compounding of that, right? We can have positive compound, we can have negative compounding. That is that 53% of the traffic is going away, 53% of the revenue is gone. Right. Crazy. Yeah. So that's just that's one risk. And that's across all businesses. Ecom, if you're just selling on Facebook and Facebook shuts down your ad account, it's happened to me before. It's hap- it's happened to just recently. I don't know if you're seeing this, but so many people that I know have just had their Facebook ad account sh- account shut down. Yeah. And it's cr- it happened to me, right? I don't I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah. It's, it's, it happens. Yeah. We have to create a new account, but so far we're good. Let's see. But- <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a part of the environmental changes that happen yeah. mm-hmm. and the algorithm changes. And so what happens is you're got all, you're making 20 grand a month from sales or 50 grand a month from sales or 100 grand or whatever it is through Facebook ads and your ad account gets ad account gets shut down. Mm-hmm. That's single source dependency on traffic. Your ad account gets shut down. You can't you can't do marketing. You can't make money. You lose your business, right? Mm. For however long it takes you to scrap around to put, you know, put together some marketing system on other platform, which is another thing that you need to get proof of concept and, and build this system again. So, single source dependency on traffic is massive that most people don't even consider when doing due diligence. The second one is single source dependency as well, but single source dependency on revenue. Mm-hmm. Okay, imagine that I have a SaaS business that sells a very powerful um it's a very powerful tool that a business needs to run their business right and you've got one client right and they're paying two thousand dollars a month right so the business is making what 24 grand a year uh and or even if they're paying ten thousand a month right they make you're making 120 grand a year be like i got a great business look at me go you lose that client, you've lost your business. Right. So that's single source dependency on revenue. And it's even if not just one, one, that single source dependency on 
one client, right? But single source of energy revenue on even uh, Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. Affiliate commissions, like they change their affiliate commissions from 8% to 3%, 2 to 3%. Mm-hmm. You can lose 60% of your business. I've seen people lose, people I know lose 60% of their income or revenue, sorry, from environmental changes because they're single source dependence on one uh, revenue stream. So those, they're really, really, really important. Yeah, I've, I've had all those happen to me. So I've, I think our first site I bought, um, <laughs> I think a Google ads account shut down, had to get that reinstated. Uh, we had another site that, you know, a lot of the traffic was, you know, I think it was 40% of the traffic and, you know, lost some ranking a little bit. Uh, have an Amazon ads account shut down. And I think also mm. with SaaS, another thing is, you know, we also look for, you know, so you mentioned the one client. So we also look at anything below, you know, 30%. So does 30% of revenue uh, make up, you know, just from, from one client? If so, then, you know, we, we put, a, you know, uh, a lot of you know earn out component to that to that structure because you know if we lose that that, that one client you know i think that's anything over 30 percent. i think is a little risky and i think the same would be with traffic as well yeah that's great that's great um yeah. that's a great little system to put in place <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's just what we found but you know different risk tolerance people can go higher or lower um yeah. what would you say is your general kind of growth playbook you know that's worked best for you you know post acquisition on your investments and you say generate the best returns if someone's looking to replicate your success, what are you teaching your clients? What are the areas they should be investing on for maybe say the quickest wins? This is a great question and it really depends on the business. Again, it's business dependent, but let's stick to, um, you've got principles, strategies, and tactics, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people want to learn the tactics. These change because the environment changes, right? If I get really, really good at learning how to do um, Amazon PPC and my ad account got shut down. What's, you know, I've just learned a tactic that's not going to serve me in mm. another, in another area. So then you've got the strategies and then you've got the principles. I like to stick to principles and strategies. Mm. One principle that I like to teach is, and I've already said this before, like in, in this episode, when people buy a business and they come into my mastermind, I work out what's not working mm. in the business. Mm. Why is it not working? scrap that what is working and let's focus on that and do it better so a lot of people i'll give you an example will come to me and jared i'm i'm gonna buy this e-commerce business it's got three products for sale or four products for sale and in my due diligence framework that they fill out they i ask you know what are some low-hanging fruits and some ways you can grow the business a lot of people will say jared i'm gonna add more products to the site and a lot of people thinking, look, listening to this might be like, oh, that's a good idea. You can sell more, you can make more money because you got more products. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's the reason I believe it's ridiculous is because if you've got three products and you got one that is get like selling more than the other two, is stop and those other two aren't selling so well, is then you can stop marketing and having a sales funnel to those two products and put and put all your energy into that one product and just sell more of that, right? Mm-hmm. What's not working? Those two products aren't selling so good. What's working really well? That number one is let's not add more to the business and, and be confused and try and like wear all these different hats. Let's just focus on one thing that's working really, really well and let's just sell the hell out of it and and provide a better, provide a better um, sales journey for somebody. Mm. and put all of our, if, if we're getting a better, and sometimes people might go, oh, I'm going to um, look at the profit margin of different products as well. 
and they go, okay, well, this $1,000 product, it may be a exercise, like it might be a home exercise gym equipment. So say it says 1000 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. They go, cool. I'm going to sell the, I'm going to sell this for 1000 bucks, and my profit margin is $500. So I'm just going to focus on this because it's a higher profit margin. Right. That doesn't always equal uh, more money, right? Mm. It's harder to sell a $1,000 item than say a $500 item. And maybe you make 50% or maybe you make 20 to 30 or 40% profit margin on that 250 or $500 item, sorry. And you're making around 200 bucks. You're going to need to sell more of those, but it's easy to sell. And people want that. More people want that than the home exercise equipment, right? So build most of your marketing around that product and build out a really good sales funnel um, and buyer's journey for that product and sell that like hotcakes. Mm. And you're going to make more money with less effort. You're, you're working on less things except for like you've got hyper focus on something and you just, this is what I, I suggest people do is, is no tactical stuff. No like, all right, I'm going to learn how to do, build a really good link building outreach team. Mm. I'm going to learn how to like become an SEO I'm going to learn how to like do all these things that are valuable. I'm not saying they're not valuable, but if you stick to the higher level and you understand business in a, in a, from a different point of view, you can make your life so much easier and you yeah. can make so much more money. And my goal isn't to make more money really. It's, it's to make, is to have less stress in my life. And a way to have less stress in my life is to not have to focus on too many more products, too many more, um, blog posts, articles, tactics, and five marketing campaigns. Just have one that works really well. So simplify, 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 man. I love it. Uh, mm. Jared, this is good. Let's kind of switch to kind of the, the rapid fire questions. You know, obviously take your time how you want to answer it. But what's, cool. you know, I don't know if this, if you already just answered this, but what's one piece of advice you wish I had known and would tell your 25-year-old self? Slow down. Mm. Um. The what I would like to tell my 25 year old self is that <clears throat> understand the power of compounding and understand that if you just stick to a good course, a good path, don't put this pressure and stress on stress on yourself like that. You need to achieve these things like that overnight. Um, because when you what you do is you have a frame of mind, especially when, and this is probably common for most people, like it was for me, is that I put I I believe that I don't have time, right? And time is against me, and I need to achieve this result yesterday. Mm. What happens is that puts stress and pressure on myself, and I don't mm. perform as well, and I don't get as as good a results. What I'd like to tell my twenty five year old self is to, to completely flip that, right? Have a complete paradigm shift and say, look, if you're just heading towards a different, heading towards a direction that's, that's going to be good and there's going to be growth in that, Mm -hmm. then don't tell yourself that time is against you. You need to achieve a, a result yesterday, flip it and say, time is, I've time is on my side and understand why time's on my side. Time is on my side because of compounding growth. 
second and third order consequences. And that allows, that would allow me as a 20, the 25 year old version of myself to relax, have less stress, less pressure and achieve better results without the stress of going, I needed to achieve it yesterday. And that's what I would tell my 25 year old self is to understand that time is not against you. Time mm. is with you. Love it. Well, then you're so focused on, on the result rather than the process because you're, you're just so, uh, you know, living in the future. Um, yeah. Jared, who or what would you say are the best three resources? These could be books uh, or people, mentors, people you follow, who you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over these last few years. Um, I would say Roger Hamilton. Roger Hamilton, um, he's got a great book called Your Life, Your Legacy, and he, he helps us understand how to get into a good flow state and understand what you're good at as your particular, if you're going to call it an archetype or whatever it is, but what you're good at and how to build uh, and not just a team, but build a, 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 all a relationship with a bunch of people around you that are better at the, better at the things that you're not good at. Uh, and I think that's that's been hugely valuable for me is is working out what I'm good at, only focusing it. That's see, I do the same thing with myself that I do with my businesses is scrap the stuff that I suck at and just mm -hmm. focus on the things that I'm good at, and it comes naturally to me. And then those people that I those things that I suck at is like who who's awesome at it, right? Right, mm -hmm. and let's bring them into my sphere. Uh, so Roger Hamilton, your life, your legacy is being really good. Emotional. Um, Emotional intelligence has helped me insanely, <laughs> especially when I was like from the 25 year from my 25 year old version of myself in that period. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Learning e e emotional intelligence. And there's a great book on that from Ryan holiday. Uh, it's called um, the obstacle is the way. Nice. Great book, yeah. I love this book. Most people in my community read this book. Uh, and then, Keith Cunningham as well. I love Keith Cunningham. Have you heard of um, Keith Cunningham before? I haven't, no. But you heard of Rich Dad Poor Dad? Robert yeah. Kiyosaki? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Keith Cunningham is the, the rich dad. Okay. Um, he's Robert Kiyosaki's mentor and okay. he's got a great book called The Road Less Stupid. Amazing mm. book and it's all about questions. Like Tony Robbins says, you know, the, the quality of your questions determines the quality of your life and Keith Cunningham has an amazing book on that. Uh, and the last one is somebody last year pointed me towards this guy and he was a venture capitalist. I think he's still maybe a uh, massive investor in, in huge businesses. But he's, why I love this guy is because he's just got a beautiful philosophy on business and life. And his name's Naval Ravikant or Ravikant, I think it's pronounced. Yeah. You've heard of him? I knew you were going to say that as soon as you, you said, you know, VC back, big, I knew you were going to say him. Yeah. yeah, I do know him. He's awesome. Yeah. He's amazing. Uh, <laughs> he's got a great, he's got a great free book called um, The Naval Manac that you can just Google and get. And I, I'd suggest reading that. And um, I really resonate with a lot of his philosophies. So they're, that's, they're the ones that um, have really helped me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. All, all great people. We'll link those uh, to the show notes for people to check out. Um, Jared, what does success mean to you today? Whether it's personally, financially, life, business, no right answer. Uh, less stress. Mm. <laughs> Every day, just less stressful. Eh? <laughs> less stress. Like my partner pulled me up yesterday and was like, 
because I've um, Facebook shut down my ad account and I've, I've got like, I've just built out all these sales systems and stuff. Like I've already had them um, running whilst my Facebook ad account had been working. And I just like, I don't want to settle for less. I want really, really good. So I just put a lot of work into making them even better. <laughs> and, um, and I've been trying to do it really quick. And I, I had this, this battle with myself, like I mentioned before, that I should have been telling myself today, even though I'm not 25, is that, hey, time's with me. Like time's on my side. Um, so that's something that I still battle with. And um, my goal is, yeah, is to just have less stress. And my partner pulled me up. was like, why are you... Why, why are you are you confident this is going to work? I'm like, yeah, of course it's going to work. She's like, why are you worrying about it? I'm like, fuck. Hmm. Like, excuse my language. She's like, I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like, you're spot on. Like, thank you for pulling me up. So that's my goal is, is less stress. Like, time's on my side, less stress. It's, um, if I'm heading in a direction that feels good to me, then I'm, I'm winning. That's a, that's a very, very good uh, piece, of, piece of advice for everybody listening in. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic, Jared. Uh, where can our audience get in touch with you and learn more about you and, and also learn about your program if they're interested? Sure. Uh, email me at jared at buyingonlinebusinesses.com. So buyingonlinebusinessesplural.com. That's also my website, buyingonlinebusinesses.com. Uh, what I'd suggest is first sort of suss me out if you didn't really get enough from me in this podcast episode is, is listen to my podcast and, and see if like I fit your style of teaching. I fit your style of philosophy and, and, and it works well with you. If so, then you can just go through my content and you can check out my website and find all the stuff there. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jared. I appreciate you jumping on SAS district show today. Thanks Akil. I greatly appreciate being here. It's, it was fun. Thank you. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS district today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.